Oh, that was, that was, that was a rough start for me. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, uh, as you can tell, Brunickies are, are dear to us. And uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a big incentive for coming up here. So uh, I'd love to see you too. You guys are great. You guys are cool. I, I, I just know them better. So, But uh, anyway, guys, super excited to be able to share this day with you. Uh, we're going to spend a number of hours together, and so we're going to dive into Scripture. We're going to talk about spiritual formation, um, something that is very important to me. And I think I would like to just start off by telling you a little bit about why this is important to me. I come here you know, being touted as a, as a scholar, um, and I don't know if I am that or not. Um, I spend a lot of time studying. I don't know if that makes you a scholar or not, but... Um, I think the thing that I want to get across uh, with what we're going to be talking about in spiritual formation is, is my personal journey. And I'll probably talk, allude to this a little bit more as we go along throughout the day. But I don't know what your journey has been like. I don't know what's brought you here this morning. I don't know the struggles, the challenges, the, the victories, the joys that you've experienced as a Christian. Um, but I know for, for my journey, I have faced both wonderful joys and victories and incredible roadblocks and defeats in my life. And um, as a minister, as somebody who is supposed to have the, the answers for people about uh, how their lives are supposed to work, uh, I don't know if, if you can imagine that kind of pressure. Um, you're supposed to have answers for how all of life is supposed to work. Really? <laughs> you know, so I, I found that I couldn't sort those things out for myself. Uh, coming from a relatively kind of a, a, a broken upbringing in a lot of ways, having uh, grown up in a dysfunctional home, having really, in terms of capabilities, being very short in the, in the range of, of capabilities as far as how life is supposed to work, I had a lot to sort out. And so I... I, the, the, the where my academic background comes into play is I was equipped with tools to do research in the field of Christian spiritual formation. But that wasn't born out of just an academic curiosity. That was actually born out of, of a personal need to understand how people grow. How, how, how can I go beyond the place where I'm at? And so I'm, I'm hoping that you know, this, this can be a moment for you in your spiritual journey. Uh, this can be a weekend for you that, that you can pick up and take some of the tools I'm going to share with you and move on and use them in your daily life. Um, I, I certainly will try to uh, give you some practical tools, but more than anything, I, I want to try to paint a, a framework for, for us of where, where do we get our information about spirituality, there, there's obviously you go go to the bookstore, go on Amazon.com, and you know type in your, your search engine spirituality. What what do you think you're going to get if you do that? Any 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 responses? If you type spirituality into your search window, what what do you think is going to come up? What's that? Different religions, absolutely. Anybody tried this? Different, yeah, different ideas on what Christianity even is. 
new age stuff. So here's the interesting thing about spirituality. While spirituality is absolutely the, you know, comes from and is, is originated, originated in Jewish and Christian, has Jewish and Christian origins, when you type spirituality into your search engine, more than likely what you're going to get is some sort of a new age message. Because the spiritualities of the, the, the age that we're in today are mostly about, about those things, new age or some other kind of Eastern religion. But if you, if you look at Scripture and you try to understand what Scripture has to offer you, you're going to find that all the answers that people are seeking for in the world from Eastern religions, from New Age spiritualities, the best of the best of the best answers for those questions, they're, they're actually in the Scripture. And they're actually in the, the person of Jesus Christ. So we talked last night at the devotional about Jesus. Now we spent some time just talking about Jesus as our teacher, as the center of our attention, where, where all of our energies and our focus should go. And, I, and I, you know, one of the examples we use is, is a moonwalking bear. Does anybody know about the moonwalking bear? You, you might have heard of him. You'll, you'll have to have the student share with you about the moonwalking bear. But the moonwalking bear is basically a, it's a, it's a guy dressed up in a, in a bear costume, moonwalking right through the middle of two teams passing a basketball back and forth. And you're directed to count how many passes the white team makes. There's a, there's a black team and a white team, and the white teams make, you count the passes of the white team. Well, this black bear comes right in the middle of the screen, and he like, he moonwalks right through the middle of the screen, and nobody sees him. Nobody, no, no, almost nobody sees him the first time. Raise the hands. Who saw the bear moonwalking? Like four or five people raised their hand. I said, no, the first time you saw the video. <laughs> And then everybody put their hand down, right? It, it's a very rare thing to observe this bear. And I, I, made, I made the analogy that, that Jesus is the moonwalking bear. You know, we, we are, we, we have, there's so many interesting, important things to learn and understand. And maybe you're even curious about theology and you're studying books and you're reading authors and you're following blogs and you're watching YouTube videos. You're doing all this stuff, but standing right in the middle of everything is Jesus, the moonwalking bear. And so I'm hoping that what we, what we do in, in this time together is we, we draw our energy to him, because really he's the one fundamentally that's going to have all of the answers for us that we need. And today we're going to talk about what it means to be his apprentice. And I like to use the language of apprenticeship because, you know, we use, we use the term disciple, right? That's how we refer to one another. It is, a, it is an important biblical term, and it does communicate something vital to what it means to be formed spiritually. What is a disciple? A disciple is a student. And um, following my, my, one of my mentors and favorite authors, Dallas Willard, uh, and as I teach these courses, I always try to give the caveat that everything that I'm, I'm teaching, I learn from somebody else. The primary person I learned most of this from is, is a guy named Dallas Willard. And uh, so if you are interested in taking this subject further, I would just suggest read, read pretty much anything Dallas Willard wrote uh, and be ready and strap yourself in for a, a serious study of formation and discipleship. I use apprenticeship because what I found is that language starts to lose its meaning over time. 
And if we use a certain set of terms for a long time, they just become kind of rote, rote words that we use as we go along. Just We refer to one another as disciples. But what was behind us vesting ourselves in a word like that as opposed to saying, I'm a Christian? We're, we're, we're Christians, but we talk more about being disciples. There, there was a reason behind that. Can, maybe I just get a, a few responses of why, why, did, why do we emphasize disciple over maybe referring to ourselves as Christians more? Any, any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did anyone add, add anything to that? Yeah. Well, I think some of the other reason is because the word Christian isn't used frequently in the Bible. So the word that right. Jesus disciple sure. becomes the word Christian. Yes. Yeah. Very good. It, it definitely laser focuses our attention on well, what, what's involved in the characteristics of somebody who's following Jesus. Yeah. I think what, that's kind of what Luke says in his history for some extent, too, in his writings. Mm -hmm. that most of them were devoted to. Yeah, and it definitely it definitely communicates something quite different to say I'm a disciple, right? Well, I, I like to I like to think about disciple from the, the standpoint of, of being an apprentice, and the reason I, I like that is because it, it actually it actually says something about what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is is come under Jesus and become his students in every aspect of our lives. You know, anybody involved in, in the trades knows the world of apprenticeship well. You go to a master carpenter, you go to a master plumber, and you say, I will work with you if you will have me. And I, basically what I want you to do is teach me everything you know about being a carpenter. And, you know, if they can teach you everything they know in a, in a few years, you can maybe go on and be a carpenter or a plumber of your own. Your goal, 100%, is, is not to, to learn the theory of plumbing. It's not to learn the theory of carpentry, although theory might be involved in some aspects of what you learn. What you're learn, trying to learn is how to actually be, hey, if somebody calls you up and they, they have a burst pipe, they're not going to ask you what your theory of plumbing is. Because <laughs> they don't care. They just want you to fix their pipe. And, and in some regards, we can get caught up in thinking about being a Christian from all of the theoretical angles and, and fail to engage in really the most important activity, which is being that, that student that comes alongside Jesus, to figure out how life is supposed to actually work. You know, Jesus is the master of how all of life is supposed to work. And if we associate with him in everything we do, we're going to, we're going to learn everything about life from him as we go. Now, Matthew 28 makes it, makes it pretty clear that as disciples, now we understand the Great Commission that we need to go and make disciples, but there's, there's an omission in the Great Commission for us oftentimes. And the omission, and this is the language of Dallas Willard, the omission is the teaching to obey everything. 
So the Great Commission, actually the complete commission, is to go make disciples and then to teach them. To do what? To obey everything. How long do you think that's going to take? So that means we might be, become we might become expert followers of Jesus, but we're always going to be students because of that. And so as we dive into the subject matter of, of being an apprentice to Christ and thinking about what that's going to look like, I want for us to consider, yes, we may be further along down the road, but there's always something that, that we can be adding to our understanding about what it means to follow him. Amen? So if we're Christians, and I, and I think there's, a, there's kind of a common, um, there's a common problem in the world of Christendom, and, and it's the idea that there's a transaction that takes place. And for most like, evangelical Christians uh, out there in the world today that we might bump into, or you know, maybe traditional Christians, there's kind of a transactional relationship with God. And the, the transaction is either I come forward to the altar and I, I pray a prayer, the transaction takes place, I am now in the forgiven state, and I move on with my life. Or maybe if you're, you come from a, a Catholic or a Lutheran background, it, it actually happened when you were an infant and you were baptized. And that transaction took place, so you're now a Christian, nothing else needs to be done. And I think for, for our community, we, we've, we've rightly, I think, held, had a healthy criticism of that view, that transactional view of Christianity. Because we understand it just doesn't work. We understand that the long, in the long haul, the individual person is, is not going to be on, a, on pace to grow and form and develop a meaningful relationship with God. And some of us are the evidence of that, right? Because we came out of those traditions into uh, the Church of Christ and found what we needed in terms of our formation. But I, I think we also are in danger of, of a similar statement to this. It, it's, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar. And, and the statement would be something like, I'm not perfect, just baptized. I'm not perfect, just baptized. And, and what, I, what I've felt for years and I've observed for years as a, as a minister and as a teacher in the congregation is we put so much emphasis on getting people baptized, the first part of the commission. And then in many regards, it's, it's, it becomes then kind of like a sink or swim attitude towards people hanging in there and staying faithful. And, and only in, in a lot of ways, only the strong will survive, you know, because you, you, you know, you're, you're sink or swim. It's like, it's like those kids, the, the, you know, we, some of us might have come from the generation. How did you learn how to swim? Well, my, my dad threw me in the river. You know what I'm saying? Like, who here, who here wants to teach their kid how to swim like that now? It's, 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 it's horrifying. It's absolutely horrifying. But, you know, we're, you're still here, right? And, and in some regards, that, and I don't mean, I don't want to paint this kind of terrible picture of how we do things, but in some regards, that's kind of how we're set up to function. We, we go out, we evangelize, we baptize, we, va we baptize, we baptize, we baptize. But the, the formation that we're going to talk about this weekend is, is as important. You know, we, we have large churches that grow and, and 
They'll, they'll add, you know, sometimes even in a year we'll have hundreds of baptisms in the Chicago church. But in a large church like that with thousands of members, we'll also, sometimes we will have hundreds of people walk away from the church. And that doesn't mean they're all walking away. They, some of them walk away with their faith still. It doesn't mean they're all abandoning God. But, but to me, from my perspective, there's, there's something that we have to rethink as far as that's concerned. And in a lot of ways, this kind of, uh, this kind of idea is, is what we're talking about uh, this weekend. So why bother with discipleship if baptism is enough? And I would say, I think we're all sitting here this morning, you probably showed up, because you're the kind of person that thinks it's important to do more than simply be in a transactional relationship with God. You want to grow. You, you want more. You want to develop. You want to sort things out. You, you may be struggling right now with what, what I refer to as a besetting sin. You might have something going on in your life that you just keep coming up against and it, you can't seem to overcome it. You, you might be struggling with doubt, discouragement. I know in a, in a group like this, I'm sure that there are people struggling with depression. And this some of the things we don't talk about a lot of times on a Sunday morning. We don't talk about the fact that, you know, yeah, we're, some of us are struggling with a lot of different stuff in our lives. And if you're like me, I don't want to draw too much attention to myself, so I, I show up and I, and I, I kind of smile and, you know, kind of fake it for a couple hours just so people won't pay too much attention to me, and then I go home and I cry. Um, you, you know what I'm saying? I, and I, I, I hope I'm not the only person that's done that. I'd feel really exposed right now if I'm the only person who's done that. Um, but but the, the, this is really, the sometimes this is the, the way that we, we function in our, our community. And we have to create safe spaces where we can be honest about what's really going on, what, how we're really doing. And, and if you are really struggling with something, to, to be open about it. And it's not necessarily for the sake of, uh, I was open and, well, now I'm forgiven. No, it's, it's about just keeping things real. Keeping it real so that you can actually be in a position to grow. That, that's what you see in the Gospels with Jesus and the people who sought him. It's those people who just, whatever burden they were facing, they just, they just kind of pushed all their chips on the Jesus table. And then they're, they're the ones that got the attention. Kind of like the squeaky, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And those who thought they didn't need any help, they, they, they got a different kind of attention. You know, the Bible, you know, Jesus says that he didn't come for those who are healthy. He didn't, he didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Are you sick? I am. I am sick. And, and now, you know, we're all in various stages of healing. And in a lot of ways, apprenticeship to Christ is enrolling in a healing ministry. We're enrolling in a, in a, a ministry to shore up those aspects of our heart, our life, our character, our will that are just diseased. You know, just not in alignment with his, his ways, his will. And so he wants to, you know, if, 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 he was a, if he was a chiropractor, he'd, 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 he'd be doing some major adjustments on us, you know. And it might be painful in the moment, but when you w get up off that chiropractic table, you're like, oh, 
so much better. And I certainly am not claiming that I'm going to give you that kind of adjustment this weekend. But, but I hope I can lead you to the one I know who can give you that kind of adjustment. And it's Jesus Christ. It, it's, it's Jesus. If anything that you remember from this weekend, just remember, it's, it's Jesus. He's the one that provides everything that you need. And um, I hope to lead you to him this weekend. So we have this thing going on where, and I, I talked a little bit about it last night. We have this thing going on where there are a lot of activities we engage in, right? We, if, you're a, if you're a faithful member of this community, then there are certain things that you need to do to remain a faithful member of this community. And those are, they're all really good things. Like, for instance, showing up on Sunday morning to church, right? To be an active part of the community, you should probably show up on, at church on Sunday morning. I'm just assuming if you don't, you're probably not an active part of this community. It's a, it's a pretty straightforward equation, I think. You know, or, or things like uh, giving your offering to the community so that you can honor God with your wealth and also so that you can be a part of participating to the functioning of this community. Um, you know, it's interesting, in, in, uh, in Jewish synagogues to this day, members who attend the synagogue are required to pay a membership fee. Isn't that interesting? So can you imagine if <laughs> you showed up like three, three Sundays, you get, you get a free trial for three Sundays, and the fourth <laughs> Sunday, you know, we have you sign a membership form and you pay your dues. Um, you know, we, we're, we're obviously much, much uh, more uh, liberal in the way that we apply tithing and offering in the community. We pray for generosity and good-heartedness. Um, but, but we do that. We give our offering. We, you know, if, if we're really, really devoted, we even show up to Friday night devotionals. And man, if we're hardcore, we come on Wednesday night. We do, you know, and, and if we're, we're going to take it up a notch, we pray and we read our Bibles. Right. So these are all activities that are a part of the, the they're a part of being an active, uh, vital part of this community. And if you're not participating in those very basic things, you're going to be you'll probably end up being pretty uncomfortable living in, in, in this community because those are just some of the very basic things that you do in, in, a, in a church, um, especially within our movement. But I, I, I think sometimes we we get so caught up in church activity that we forget that basically Jesus really didn't do any of those things. He didn't. Jesus didn't go out and ask people to come to church with him. He didn't. Jesus never invited anybody to church. Now, am I telling you not to invite people to church? <laughs> Joel's like, why did I invite him here? <laughs> no. Obviously not, but, but you, you see what I'm saying. You can get caught up in church activity and, and fail to follow the master, to fail to follow the one who is your master and you're his apprentice. And so I'm, I'm, I'm praying again that we'll do more than, than be what I, what I call churchians. You know, a churchian is somebody who worships church. They worship their community. Now, I, I think there's a lot of admirable things about our community that are, are just, I love. And, and when I tell people about, about our church, I, I love telling them about all the really cool things that we've got going on within our church. Um, 
but I don't, I don't worship the, our church. I don't worship our church. I, I worship Jesus. And, and sometimes we can get caught up in loving our community so much that that's what we spend a lot of our energy focusing on is we've got the special community. We've got to get people to our special community. And yes, you do, because you do have something very special. And if people come here, guess what they're going to see? They're going to see Jesus. So that's, that's, the, that's why we try to get them here, because once they get here and they see it, then they're going to start seeing, oh, wow, these people, they really they love Jesus. They really love Jesus. And so that's why the invitation is, is still important, because once they get into the community, then they can see they can start to experience the reality of what it means for somebody to be living as, as a Christian. Um, but I, pr- I, I, I say churchian so that we can be warned. And, you know, I think it's, it's not hard when you have a great community to get caught up in, in that. It's, it's very simple and very easy to happen. It happens all the time. And so I, I just want to make that distinction between what it means to be a Christian or a worshiper of, of Jesus Christ and being a churchian. And so, um, Deep Insights with, with James Becknell. You ready for this? It's, it's a new talk show. It's coming out soon. Deep Insights. If you're not following Jesus, you're not one of his disciples. Is that crazy? Is that crazy stuff right there? And I don't know how you hear this statement, but for many years of my life, the way that I heard this statement was as a judgment. I heard it as a, a scary and a negative thing. Like, oh no, I'm not, a, I'm not really following him. I'm not a disciple. I'm going to hell. Literally, those kind of like, that's where my brain went. Well, I, I want for us to think about this differently. I, I don't want us to think about this being equated somehow to damnation. I want us to be more positive about this because it's an extremely positive thing. And, and if, you, if you look at this statement from the standpoint of as, as a way to adjust or course correct as you're thinking about what it means to be his apprentice on a daily basis, it's going to help you. Be, it, it'll help to be one of those kind of questions you ask yourself and statements you make to yourself to kind of evaluate where you're at in the moment. Not, oh no, oh no, I'm in trouble. Um, So let's think about what it means to follow him and think about what it's going to mean for us to to stick as close to him as possible so that that we can be his true students. Um, You know, and it takes some imagination, right? Because we're not in the first century. We're not following around this really cool rabbi. We're not, you know, we're not walking in the hills of Judea. We're not hanging out in the wilderness with, with Jesus. You know, I don't know if that sounds fun to you. It sounds really fun to me. I'd love to do it. I'd love to, I'd love to just go hang out with Jesus in the wilderness. Um, but, but that's not our life, right? We have jobs. We have school. We have responsibilities. We have relationships to maintain. We've got all kinds of things going on. And so we have, we have to use our imagination to apply these, these statements. What would it look like for a, a, somebody who's in corporate America who has to work 55 hours a week under the demands of their career? What would it look like for them to follow Jesus? 
You guys know that bracelet, what would Jesus do? Any of you guys ever wear that bracelet or have anybody have those bracelets? I'm not going to judge you for wearing those bracelets, so freely raise your hand, right? Everybody's like, I, yeah, I did that once, um, right? Um, it's a really cool idea. It's, it's a very thoughtful way to remind yourself in situations, what would Jesus do? But I think a better question actually would be, what would Jesus do if he were me? What would he do if he, what, if, what would Jesus do if he was a claims adjuster and he had to work 45 hours a week and he drove 200 miles a day? It'd be a different kind of life, wouldn't it? Than just simply doing what Jesus would do. This is where you'd have to, you, you'd have, you have to use your imagination to think about what kind of, what kind of claims adjuster would Jesus be? What kind of husband would he be? Imagination. What kind of student would Jesus be? Well, we can get some of that from Scripture because he was a student. And there's little snippets of information about him being a student and what kind of student he was, right? So, so we're, we're trying to use our imagination to think through what, what, how do we fulfill this statement in the life that we're living? Because we can't roam the hills of Judea with Jesus today, even though we might really want to. So being a disciple is about more than, as I've said here, initial repentance and baptism. Um, it's this idea that forgiveness or baptism is, is equated with, you know, uh, the totality of our Christianity that we want to try to avoid and think more deeply about being associated with him in everything we do. Um, some years ago, uh, A.W. Tozer, a Christian author, um, expressed his feeling that a notable heresy had come into being throughout evangelical Christian circles. The widely accepted concept that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as Savior and that we have the right to postpone our obedience to him as, long, as, as Lord as long as we want to. The idea that we can selectively choose the aspects of, of Jesus' life and ministry that we, we want and postpone the ones that are inconvenient for us, he calls a heresy. A heresy being an errant form of Christianity. This heresy has created the impression that it's quite reasonable to be a vampire Christian. Anybody like va vampire movies? Again, you can, you can admit it if you really like vampire movies. Okay, all right. What, what is it about vampire movies? I, I just, I don't understand it. Blood, blood sucking undead. I just, I don't get it. You know, but if you get it and you want to exp explain it to me, I'm completely open to, to, to learning. So that's one thing. I am, I am a, I'm a student. I love to learn. So please teach me about the fa this fascination with vampires. I want to learn more. What does it mean to be a vampire Christian? Well, this is the idea that we can say to Jesus, I'd like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life, and I'll see you in heaven. But can we really imagine that this is an approach that Jesus would find acceptable? And when you stop to think about it, how could you actually trust him for repentance, baptism, forgiveness of sins, while not trusting him for much more than that. Think about how essential all of those things are. 
to, to getting on with Christian life. I mean, forgiveness. We can't, we, can't, we can't make a single move without forgiveness. As we understand baptism, what can we do without putting our faith and our confidence in Jesus and receiving baptism as Christians? We, 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 we got nothing, right? We're putting, we're putting a lot of, we're, we're saying a lot to Jesus by saying, I trust you for these things. But then sometimes when it comes to, in a lot of ways, much less important issues in our life, we have a hard time trusting him. We have a hard time trusting him, right? And you might say, well, James, I don't know about you. You seem like you're really kind of like faithless or something. Like, wow, I trust Jesus for everything. Do you? Do you trust him for everything? And, and, I, and I think, again, this is not a judgment. It's, a, it's an evaluative question I want you to ask yourself. Do, do you trust him for everything? Because he, he has the range of capabilities to cover every aspect of your life. He is, he is not incompetent. He is capable. He is intelligent. He is wise. He is full of knowledge and understanding about how all of life is supposed to work. But sometimes, if you're a student and you get stressed out about a test and you're struggling, are you thinking, it's going to be okay, I trust Jesus. What I do is I double down and I work harder and I pull myself up by my bootstraps and I, and I pull my hair out, as you can see. <laughs> you know, I, 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 lose, I lose my mind for about, you know, 48 hours and then I go, oh, thank you, Jesus, for getting me through that. Sometimes, uh, as a confession, sometimes in those situations, I don't even pray. Sometimes I'll grind right through a situation like that and I'll get to the other side of it and I'll realize, I didn't even pray about that. How am I, you know, so how am I going to tell Jesus, I trust you with the very core of my being for my very salvation, but I don't trust you to get me through a test. You see what I'm saying? And so that's where you have to maybe take a step back and think a little bit more about the ways that you are expressing a genuine trust in what Jesus has to provide for you. Let's look at Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse uh, 18 through 20. We referred to it earlier. Actually, let's, let's just read it, verse 20. Um, it says, And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Everything I've commanded you. So we have here the mandate from Jesus that there's much more to our Christian walk and life than baptism. And then, uh, I'm sorry for you flipping there, because I'm going to have you turn again to Matthew chapter uh, 10, verse 25. Let's go there. Matthew 10, 25. You guys got it? All right. Matthew 10, 25, it says here, It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? And then I'll just refer to this. You can take it in your notes. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, says, A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, in, in the terms of what we're talking about here today, let's, let's just stop here for a second. 
So what do, you, what do you think it means when it says that it's enough for the student to be like his teacher? So let me get a few responses from you guys. What's Jesus getting at here? Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Any other thoughts? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right. Yeah, right. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think, like, talking about what you said earlier about apprenticeship, like, this is maybe, like, of the time and expectation, this is what we're shooting for. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. Any other thoughts? Yes. I think I'm under the apprenticeship law, you know, in the way the, uh, like, the skills and training are reviewed. There's a creative aspect of their trades. Mm-hmm. Other trades may just come behind them and say, well, this was, Right. Yes. And you think about what happened after Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, his, his, his disciples started their ministry. And years into their ministry, they're, they're, they're being called Christian. Right. And this was, a, this was a designation that was given to them from outside the Christian community, outside of the group of disciples. Pagans didn't know what to call Christians. They were so different from all of the other groups around them. And in, in Antioch, where this designation was given, there were people from all walks of life there. There were, there were people of all cultures and backgrounds in Antioch. It was a very multicultural kind of place. But everybody fit into a group. Everybody came from a culture and everybody knew those people are so-and-sos, right? And all the Christians are together and they're from all of those groups. And, and so the, the people in Antioch are scratching their head. What, what, who are, what, are, these, who, what are these things? <laughs> they're, they're Christians. Because of the, the way that their lives were conducted, it was clear that they were apprentices to the master. They were little, little Jesuses. And that's what we're all shooting for, being little Jesuses. And uh, if, if, if that sounds demeaning, then... Don't worry about it, because that's, that's really what, we're, what we are. We're, we're trying to be like him. Um, and then, you know, as we think about this, the goal is fundamentally that there would be recognizable traits and qualities in our life that increase and grow over time that we're seen in the life and quality of, of the master. That's discipleship. That, that's what discipleship is. 
It's, it's us aligning ourselves so closely with Jesus and partnering with him in everything that we do so that we, we start to, to gain the life qualities and character that he had in, in every aspect of our lives. Okay, let's go ahead and move on here. Um, teaching, teaching point number two is uh, apprenticeship. In, so if you're wondering what teaching point number one was, it was being a disciple is about more than initial repentance and baptism. And teaching point number two is apprenticeship in kingdom living is essential to avoid being locked in defeat. Um, and I think this, this point really kind of tells the story of, of my motivation for learning about this kind of thing. Because as a, as a Christian that was getting, getting into the range of being about a decade old and being in the ministry, I felt like I was constantly battling with the same things over and over and over again in my character. And I just, I felt defeated. I felt locked. I felt, I just felt like, ah, oh, God, I'm still, geez, I am still like that. This is too much. And, you know, a lot of Christians get to that point and they, and they quit. They just get to that point and they're just like, there's no, why am I doing this? And, and really the only way to, to navigate that, those waters is by lat, latching yourself like the caboose onto the Jesus train. That's the only way out of it. <laughs> you know, you're, you're the caboose. You're, you're the moon, not the sun. You know, you're trying to reflect Jesus. You're trying to attach yourself to him. And he's going to help you navigate the, the minefield of life. Um, you know, if you, if you want to get out of a minefield, you probably want to hang out with somebody who knows where the mines are. And Jesus knows exactly where they are. Now, in our world today, we don't do evil unless it's required of us. But the problem is it's always required. You know, in the world that we live in, it seems as if every turn requires a, a reaction, some sort of um, explosive comment, uh, some sort of very strongly expressed opinion. Uh, you know, it, it's the, the demands of your work or your schooling or whatever the case may be that press you to the very edge of your capabilities. And your boss, your, your employer, your clients, your, your teachers, your friends, are heading down a certain road. And they're, they're, they're pressing you towards those necessary decisions that are required to get on with life. And those necessary uh, things that are required for life are compromises to your Christian faith. And how do you get through with that? Well, it's, it, the problem is first and foremost understanding that we don't necessarily, evil is not required. There's, there are, there's another way. Um, you guys, I know for those of you who uh, grew up in the 80s, you know this guy. Why did I love Rambo so much when I was in, I, see, I, I don't know how old I was. I was probably like 12 or 13 years old when Rambo came out. And man, I love me some Rambo. Why did I love Rambo so much? So what, what's Rambo's story? You know, for those of you who don't know the story, uh, shame on you if you don't know about Rambo. <laughs> um, but uh, for those of you who don't know Rambo's story, he was a, he was a veteran, uh, decorated, a decorated uh, special ops uh, you know, guy, uh, master of, master of, of destruction. Um, he retires and he's kind of a wanderer. He's, he's wandering and he's wandering through this little town and the, the local law enforcement doesn't appreciate his presence thinks he looks like a, like a ragamuffin and doesn't want him in his town. 
And so he basically presses Rambo. Rambo's very docile and he's very submissive and he just, you know, kind of goes along with what the police officer is doing until the, the, he just took it too far. And he, he just, he harasses and abuses Rambo to no end. And then Rambo destroys the guy's entire town. <laughs> you know, hey, he drew first blood is the saying, right? The movie is first blood. You drew first blood, so I'm going to blow up your entire town now and kill everybody you know. Um, and why did I love that so much? <laughs> it's because I'm sick. <laughs> um, and, and so we think, think about Rambo was docile and peaceful until, until he was required to do evil, right? Until he was required by his circumstances to bring out all of his capabilities for destruction. You know, in a lot of ways, guys, this, this is the way that we are. We are, as long as our buttons are not pushed and as long as life is cruising along the way it's supposed to go, we are, we are fully ready to do good. But press the wrong button, turn the wrong switch in us, and we will set off a, a bomb of epic proportion to right things again. And part of the reason, guys, is we are actually prepared to do evil. We are. And now, I, th I think probably some, some who, who, who grew up in the church and have had really healthy formation their whole lives, and they've got good people around them, and they've got great friends, and they've got all the right circumstances and all that stuff, some of, some of them, some of you, have maybe a little bit better chance to be prepared to do good than, than, than me. I was, I was born to do evil. I was. From my, from my upbringing, from my birth, from the time I was born, I was set up to do bad stuff as a human being. I just was. And, and most of us are. Most of us are in that circumstance. And even if all the circumstances are right, there's still a chance that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do bad stuff. And I, I use the term evil not as in demon, demonic forces in you. I'm just talking about doing bad stuff. Really, which is, a, is a, more, a more appropriate definition of that term in Scripture. It's, it's not just simply about some sort of demonic force. It, it's about ill-fated Ill, Ill choices. It's about, it's about doing what's corrupt. And, you know, I, think we're, like, I, I don't think it would be hard for me to convince us here, if you've tried doing what's good for any period of time in your life, that you, you know you're, you're prepared to do bad stuff. Right? It's okay. This is, this is the hospital. You're in the right place. Don't, don't, we don't have to put too much pressure on ourselves to get it all sorted out. We, we just have to, hey, I'm sick. I'm sick. And guess, guess who's going to come when, when you admit that? Jesus is going to come. He's going to come and help you. And so, um, I, 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 so I want just to make that point here. Ordinary life confirms it. All you have to do is get in your car and drive for, well, maybe not here as much, but you may get angry at deer here as opposed to your uh, fellow drivers. Um, but, but, but in Chicago, in Chicago, I got, I, got some, I got some inside information on how most car accidents happen out here because uh, of, of who I stayed with uh, last night. So, um, but, but, you, you know, think, if you think about all you got, and you, you might, it, probably I'm sure it happens here. When I get in the car, 
and I start driving, and I'm driving for about five minutes, and somebody does something I deem to be foolish or irritating, I, I, I literally start, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Now, those are the Christian words that I use. I was trained to use much worse language than that. I got in the car almost every day with my grandfather, who was a pretty rough dude and was a handyman, worked with his hands every day, and, and, and I learned how to drive from him. So I have, I have a select, a select uh, vocabulary that's very effective when driving near people who seem to not know what they're doing. I'm prepared, I'm prepared by my life circumstances to respond to drivers with verbal assaults and contempt. I would say contempt is probably one of the biggest problems in our world today. We might think, well, lust and impurity, and yes, it's terrible, and a lot of other things, but just the simple, just disregard for another human being is probably the biggest problem we've got going on in our world today. And we are just as tempted to participate in that contempt as Christians as anybody else in this world. And so we have to, we have to think about how are we going to go about being different, a different kind of person? How can we consistently do good and avoid evil as God intends? And, and I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, not, it's not quite so, uh, so simple. But it is simple in terms of the, off, the offer on the table for us from Jesus. Let's look here at John chapter 8, verse 31. You guys doing Okay. John 8, 31, uh, we'll read through verse 34. John 8, 31 says here, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You see the themes of freedom and slavery in this passage? And I think if we consider what's going on in our world today, we are very much in a, in a state where you are either free in the regards to the biblical concept of freedom, or you're a slave. And I would say, even as Christians, there are aspects of our character that we're, st we, we, that we're still enslaved to things. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I pray that you would learn to be gentle with yourself. It's one of the hardest things. Because if you're an average human being, you are hypercritical of yourself. Most people are fairly critical of themselves. And it's, it's hard when you are in the midst of hypercriticalness of yourself to engage in healing activities because you're spending so much of your energy tearing yourself down when that energy should be focused on what needs to happen for you to learn how to break free from the situation you're in. And Jesus can actually show you the way out. By practicing Jesus' word as his apprentices, it enables us to understand how our lives work and to see how we can interact with 
God's redemptive resources. Now, um, I can't remember the movie right now, but it's basically about these two guys in the woods that are being chased by a bear. You, you know the movie? No, 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 it's not that one. Not that one, but that's an awesome one. Another gory and terrible movie. Um, it, it's, it, it, I can't remember the movie. Anyway, long story short, I'll, I'll, I'll look the movie up. Uh, but the, basically there's this really smart guy, an older guy, and this younger kind of impetuous guy, and they're, they're lost and they have an airplane crash and they're out in the woods and a bear is hunting them. A bear is chasing them, trying to find them, and, and they're trying to escape the bear. And the young guy is just, he's just freaking out. We're going to die. This is going to be terrible. This is horrible. I can't believe, how did we get ourselves in this situation? He's just losing his mind. And, the, and the, 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 kind of the smarter, older guy, he's just really calm. And, and, he, <laughs> and this guy's freaking out. And he goes, he goes, you know why most people die in the wilderness? This is what? What are you talking about? He goes, you know why most people die in the wilderness? And he goes, why? And he goes, shame. Because they spend all their energy asking themselves how they got themselves in this situation and not on figuring out how to get themselves out of it. Guess who died in the movie? The bear, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's good. Right. Well, we, we'd hope, but uh, somebody else died before the bear did. So what happens to us when we're caught up in a consuming self-criticalness? We're caught up in shame. We're caught up in, in anxiety about where we're at. And how do, how, I've been a Christian for 10 years. Why am I still struggling with this? And we just, we just tear ourselves down over the things that we can't seem to overcome. When I believe, I've, you know, God forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe what, what Jesus would intend is that we would, it, we would just focus on him and lock in with him and relate to him and connect with him so that we can get, our, get out of the woods. Shame has its place, but it's a very limited tool in the toolbox. It's just enough maybe to wake us up, to make us stop what we're doing. But then we need to move on to the solutions that are provided in Scripture for how we're going to get out of the situation that we're in. You know, verse, uh, uh, verse 35 of John, it says, Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And that's the promise of being his apprentice, that we will truly be free. Let's look over in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, um, and look at this passage here. We talked about this one last night as well. Um, one, one of my favorite passages in the gospel, because it speaks to me in, in many ways, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. If I could have somebody read that for me, that'd be great. If I could get a reader, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Anybody? Yes, please. Okay, so anybody ever feel weary or burdened? I never feel that way. No, I feel that way a lot. 
And the Bible's telling us that if we come to Jesus, he's going to make it a lot worse. No? It doesn't say that? If you come to Jesus, he's just going to add to your burdens. But sometimes that's the way we live as Christians. Sometimes we imagine if we come to Jesus, oh, man, that's just going to make it harder. It's already hard. And now i got to do what Jesus wants me to do? But the truth is, he's going to set you free. He's going to set you on the path that's going to be, hate to say it, it's, it's going to be easier than what you're doing now, for sure. Christianity actually makes life easier. And maybe sometimes when you're struggling right in the midst of it, you might not feel that. But practice it for 25 years and ask yourself, was it easier to do that or to do it by myself for 25 years? And you'll, you know, you, you, you know, if you're an older Christian, you've imagined, where would I be if I would have just been living the life I was living for the last 25 years? Oh, my goodness. It would be devastating. It would, for me at least. I don't know what, it, what would your, the outcomes of your life would have been, but mine would be, they would be horrific. They would be, uh, it just, I w- you know, all the stuff that I'm so blessed by now, and I, God, I, none of it would be gone. I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be in trouble. And so with all the difficulties in life and, and that go along with following Jesus, how can he tell us this? Well, this, this equipping and apprenticeship is, is the way that it becomes easier. It's, it's really, truly sticking closely with him so that he can get us through everything that's going on. All right, let's go ahead, and we're going to land the plane on this first class. We'll take just a short break, stretch break, and then we will uh, we'll, we'll move on. But just one last point before we do that. Um, so the third uh, teaching point of this uh, lesson is only wholehearted discipleship or apprenticeship to Christ in the Spirit brings true transformation. Um, you know, as we study with Jesus, we increasingly become on the inside with him exactly what we are on the outside. Um, our actions, our moods, our attitudes visibly play over our bodies, alive in social context. So basically what happens is, as we walk closely with Jesus, and I think we can, if we've been trying to follow Jesus for any period of time, we've, we've experienced this. It's, it's not, I'm not teaching you something you haven't already participated in and experienced at some level. Um, and so you, you understand what it means to experience those, those transformative um, you know, those aspects of your character that transform. Some of us, we have these things that happen when we get baptized and we become Christians. It seems as if things kind of just instantly change, right? There's just these things that, you know, I, I smoked cigarettes for years and years and years. And I, and I, I mean, from the time I was like 12 years old, I was using tobacco. Um, and so by the, time I, by, by the time I was getting close to becoming a Christian, I, I had been smoking for years. And... I literally have not even thought about or desired to smoke a cigarette the entire time I've been a Christian. Like, I, I have no, zero, zero desire. And that's a very tough kind of addiction for people to overcome. It's, not, it's, not, it's just not easy to overcome. Um, but there are other aspects of, of my character and my heart and my life that I feel like I've been working on every single day for the 26 years I've been a Christian. And so... There are certain transformations that take place quickly. I believe as a gift from God, as the work of the Spirit in our lives. But then there are other aspects of our character that they take, they take every ounce of our energy as we walk along with Jesus over the course of our entire lives. And so to, we have to distinguish between those and make sure that we're, as we consider those things that are besetting 
and we're facing them and dealing with them, that they're just the reminders that there's, there's just a lot of work left to be done. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, close here just for maybe a five-minute stretch break. Uh, maybe you need to use the restroom, get something to drink, and then we'll come back in, in a little while.